Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, Snowflakes. Welcome back to the New European Podcast with me, Steve Anglesey. I'm the editor of the New European. As a punishment for us not letting him be Prime Minister again, Boris Johnson is writing his autobiography. But what will it be called? Will he hark back to celebrated autobiographies of the past and call it something like The Long Walk to the Wine Fridge or The Year of Tragical Thinking or This Is Going to Hurt for You? Will he emulate the celebrated biography of right now and call it Spare Tire or Spare Us? Or will he go the whole hog? And to be fair, the whole hog is in itself a decent name for a book by Boris Johnson and call it The Lion King or the grifter, or crime, but not too much punishment. To speculate about what might be in Boris Johnson's autobiography, will there be any truth in it? I don't know. And to ask, just why the hell is Rishi Sunak's only big idea to make us do even more maths? I'm joined by comedian and new European columnist, Mitch Beck. And we'll be putting more putrid politicians and pundits into our hall of shame with the new Europeans, Eleanor Longman Rood and Matt Withers. Before all that, another excellent print edition of the New European is available now. It's issue 325. It's got the NHS on the front cover. Meanwhile, our website and newsletters are full of stories that take you into the heart of European politics and culture. And if that sounds good to you, if you want more of it, there's no better way to support the work of the New European than by subscribing. If you are a podcast listener, there is good news you can get a year's digital subscription for just a pound a week or a year's subscription to our print and digital package for just two pound a week by going to this special URL. It's the neweuropean.co.uk slash TNE podcast. For two pounds a week, our print and digital package gets you unlimited digital access, including full access to all the archive of everything Mitch Ben has ever written for us. Plus, our award-winning newspaper is delivered to your door every week for a year. To take advantage of this offer, here's that URL again. It's the neweuropean.co.uk slash TNE podcast. So Matt and Ellie will join us for the Hall of Shame. But first, here he is. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, the New Europeans, Mitch Ben. Uh, Mitch, Ben, it, it won't have escaped your attention that Boris Johnson is writing an autobiography or planning to thinking about writing an autobiography. He's, he's certainly uh, collected a cheque for doing so, a high six-figure or even seven-figure sum. Uh, your thoughts, please, on the publishing event of the decade. Well, I mean, you know, as you correctly point out, he says he's writing a book or he's planning. He says he's planning on writing a book. What he'll do is he'll trouser the advance and then forget to write the book, which is what he always does. Um, because, you know, he's broke because he's always broke because because he's never done an honest day's work in his life. <laughs> um, but, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, I mean, there is a difference in it, and and this is not I thought entirely original. Me, somebody else pointed this out that prime ministers, ex prime ministers, tend to write their memoirs. It's a thing they do, but they tend to do it when the jig's up. You know, when their career is over, when it's time to, you know, spend more time in your shed or whatever. But the difference is that Boris is writing his when he's actively trying to get back in the game. So, you know, if, if he actually does get around to writing this book, it's going to be not so much, you know, what I did when I was prime minister or why I did what I did when I was prime minister. It's going to be all about why I should be prime minister again. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah. was kind of, I was kind of hoping that this would be a sign that he'd, given up on the idea of returning to Downing Street, but of course a narcissist wouldn't give up, would he? Well, not a narcissist with a Winston Churchill fixation, certainly. And, you know, to be Churchill, you have to have the wilderness years. Yeah. Um, and, I and think I we're think experiencing that, those at the moment. To be honest well, I think that's what he thinks he's experiencing. I think this, he thinks he's experiencing, you know, the, you know, the, the, the interregnum during which he has been unfairly cast aside and you know and, and the, the the grateful nation will attention will, will return weeping to his arms in due course yeah i think he genuinely thinks that um but it's who, who can tell i mean it's you know the, the, that's it's it's not you know the man's never had a healthy thought process in his life so who can tell what this one is uh the woman responsible for for this is a woman called arabella pike she has signed him up. Uh, she's right. the director of William Collins. Um, she's the, the the publisher that's going to publish this. Arabella Pike, don't don't do it. Pike is what comes to mind. Now. <laughs> she said, "This is a period of history that will be remembered for years to come." I think too right there, Arabella. Yeah. I am confident that his memoir will provide a wholly fraudulent and fabricated account of the... No, she didn't say that. She said, <laughs> it will. I'm confident his memoir will provide invaluable insight into the events of the past few years. What, what kind of invaluable insights do you think will be in this book? Uh, why he was right and why everybody else was wrong and why we're all a bunch of ungrateful plebs, I imagine. Yes, um, great... <laughs> Just off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, well, you know, like, like I say, I mean, the man's incapable of self-reflection. The man's incapable of any kind of personal growth. Um, so it's going to be, and like I say, that is an important difference, which, which some people have pointed out, is that the history in this and most prime ministerial memoirs is it's not just going to be a retrospective. It's going to be uh, Apologia Pro Vita Sua. It's going to be, uh, why I should be, it's not going to be what, what, what I did when I was Prime Minister, it's going to be why I should be Prime Minister again. It's The agenda is completely different. So I think it's going to be a very different kind of Prime Ministerial memoir. That's assuming it ever actually happens. As I say, is the Boris technique is trouser the advance and forget to write the book. Um, so I guess that there may come a point when, you know, you sort of panics and gets a ghostwriter in in the last six months or so, that might happen. Yes, which is what happened with his um, his Churchill book. We're still waiting for his, his Shakespeare book, which yes, exactly. Which... So here he is signing up to write, you know, an, an, another um, epic tome, and he still hasn't made any sign of delivering the last one, which he trousered a substantial advance for, and then forgot to write. You know, it's almost as if he's not particularly reliable. 
Yeah, I know. If only there were some other examples of that, and then, then then maybe a pattern would emerge. I mean, he's making a lot of money on the lecture circuit at the moment. We've, we've read about the he's staying in a fancy house uh, in Mayfair, a twenty-one million pound house, uh, which he I don't think he bothered to declare it, did he, for for a little while? Uh, and then, of course, he had this extraordinary line of credit. Um, uh, maybe that's how, not not line of duty, but line of credit. Um, maybe that's a title for him. Um, which he had as Prime Minister, 800,000 quid. Um, I mean, I wonder whether I wonder whether the way that Brexit is going, whether he'll actually mention Brexit at all, or he'll just sort of say, in 2016, something happened, and then, you know, he'll just skirt over that one. What do you think he'll say about Brexit? Well, I mean, the thing is, as the conversation you and I have had many times before, something I, I wrangle at, is this idea that Brexit isn't working, that Brexit has not worked. Brexit worked like a charm because the sole purpose of Brexit was to show up the, the uh, electoral fortunes of the Conservative Party in general and Boris Johnson in particular. So basically in December 2019, Brexit achieved all its actual objectives. You know, at that moment, Brexit became a roaring success. Everything else which has happened in the meantime is just completely incidental. But what Brexit was for was rescuing the Tory party in general and Boris Johnson in particular. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he genuinely regards Brexit as a roaring success, because from his point of view, it absolutely has been. Um, and that may well be how it's depicted in his book, if he ever gets around to writing it, which he probably won't. Yes, and of course it did, you know, it has guaranteed in those, uh, those big um, fees for speaking and all of this kind of stuff. And 150 grand a year for the rest of his life. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. Do you think? I mean, do you think he will go into his private life much? He always said, "Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to discuss my private life." Um, do you think? That, I mean, I, I, I can't ingrained, engraved in, in my brain, uh, Mitch, are the, the famous lines from Tony Blair's book. I needed that love Sherry gave me selfishly. I devoured it to give me strength. I was an animal following my instincts. Apologies to any readers who are eating or have just eaten, uh, listeners rather, um, who have eaten or are just eating. Um, do you think he'll, do you think he'll, he'll delve into that? And, and, uh, and how, how sickly do you think this could get? Um, well, Given the given the odds that he's still going to be with Carrie by the time this book comes out, I, I, if I were him, I would avoid going in too hard on the hearts and flowers angle because he'll have probably moved on to the next one by the time the book actually sees print. So, you know that that might be a bit of an awkward angle for him to pursue because, well, you know we know what we're talking about. Yes, I mean it's a it's that's a that's a deeply cynical and also deeply accurate thing to say, <laughs> uh, Mitch. Um, I mean, have you read many political memoirs in your time? Uh, I, I, Alan Clark's Diaries is one that springs to mind for me. Have you are you a fan of the political memoir? Uh, I, I read a lot of biographies, but not. I, I tend to read biographies rather than autobiographies because I find autobiographies are usually almost entirely lies. Um, yeah. autobiographies are generally self-exculpatory -exc bullshit, whereas biographies are often a bit, you know, closer to the truth. Um, but no, they tend to be kind of um, artistic ones, you know, like, um, you know, one of, one of my favourite books ever, writ uh, ever read was Harry Thompson's biography of Peter Cook, you know, that's, that's why he was my subject on Mastermind. 
Um, yes. you know, but but uh, yeah, it, I, I've not read a lot of political. I don't know. I think it's difficult. It's difficult because you know, as you know, as I said, my thing is I'm I'm political, but I'm not party political. Uh, I have a a fairly withering degree of cynicism, which I try and spread as evenly as possible over the Ooh. entire political landscape. And as such, I think I would find a political memoir just a bit I think you'd I think you'd probably want to be on side with the person whose memoir you were reading given that all you know that all you're gonna get is why I was right about everything and why all those why all those ungrateful bastards who got rid of me were wrong about everything because you know as we know political careers tend to end in failure they tend to end in defenestration of some kind or another so I would imagine a lot of political memoirs are essentially self-justicatory and bitter. And I think unless you were a massive fan of the politician in general, I think that would just basically make you a bit bilious. And I'm not really a massive fan of anybody to that extent <laughs> politically. Yeah. There are people I admire to greater or lesser degrees, but I don't think there's anybody I'd want to sit through a whole book's worth of that crap for. No, I mean, you know, you're right that the, the best books tend to be, the best autobiographies do tend to be by entertainment. I mean, the Viv Albertine book from a, a few years ago uh, was was absolutely sensational. And, and many years before that, you know, The Moon's a Balloon by David yeah. Niven. Well, it's mostly a showbiz anecdote. Then, you know, there's, there's, you're not constantly trying to justify yourself. It's, 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 it's a catalogue of entertaining misbehaviour as much as anything else. I mean, I read Keith Richards' book for that very reason. You know, it's it's like you don't read it as you know as as a a shining moral example. <laughs> you no. read it as sort of you know epic misdeeds which he just somehow managed to survive. But I shouldn't imagine a political memoir would take that form. I think a political memoir, like I say, is going to be largely self-excapatory, largely self-justificatory, and I think that would just be a bit nauseating to be honest even if you were a massive fan of the politician in question and like I say I'm not really a massive fan of anybody to that extent yes I mean talking to Keith Richards there and, and all of that 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 does I mean it brings back that life of dissolution um it does it brings back the the Alan Clark diaries which is a which is a, a fans I mean it's not the closest you've got to a sort of a rock and roll by a rock and roll autobiography in in uh, because there's nothing self-exculpatory or self-justificatory about any of it he was you know a, 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 a lecherous old lush and was perfectly happy to let everybody know that you know um yes. which is why if boris were ever to write an honest memoir that could actually be quite entertaining but he won't because he's incapable of that degree of self-reflection Indeed he, indeed he is, yes. I mean, a great yeah. moment from the Alan Clark Diaries, by the way, if you've not read them. Uh, it come, it's, I think it's an, in more or less the first page and it opens when Mrs Thatcher is in deep trouble. Um, and, you know, with, with all the, the self-awareness that, uh, or, or maybe maybe he's right, because, you know, an elderly uh, racist with an extremely checkered past, uh, Alan Clark sees that he, he could actually become the leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister. Maybe he was right. Maybe they would have voted him in. Um, but he's pondering whether to throw his hat into the ring. And he says, uh, he writes, what would Wolf do in this situation? And you go, oh, that's quite strange. Who is this Wolf? And luckily there's a footnote. Uh, and it says Wolf was Clark's pet name for Hitler. 
um, if you've got a pet name for Hitler, I'm suggesting you, uh, uh, you know, maybe not fit to be prime minister, but there you go. Um, what's your take on the, the Prince Harry autobiography and all of that, that situation? I mean, uh, I was suggesting that his book's called Spare. Boris Johnson's, of course, could be called Spare Tire. Um, yes. But, I mean, Prince Harry, that's chewed up acres and acres of newsprint I mean, I know he's vaguely ridiculous and his wife's vaguely ridiculous. I've, I've still got a little bit of a soft spot for, for Prince Harry. He's obviously quite, a, you know, he's been damaged, hasn't he? He's been hurt. What do you think? Mm -hmm. To be honest, I can scarcely contain my indifference. Um, it's now, I mean, yeah, broadly speaking, I've been on his side through all of this. Uh, I don't blame him for wanting to get the hell out of that whole circus. I remember thinking that actually 25 years ago when they buried his mum mm. watching the two kids and thinking at least one of these is going to get the hell out of this. At least one of these two is going to go, you know what, screw this and start a band <laughs> and, 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 and just naff off around the world and, and say, screw the lot of you. Um, I'm, you know, if I, I, mean, I thought it might actually have been Will, but I think he's had the sort of the whole, you know, duty thing hammered into him a bit too hard. Um, but no, I've been entirely on Harry's side through all of this, but I still don't think I can be asked to read his book. Yeah. Because um, I don't think he's going to tell me anything I don't, that I need to know that I don't already broadly agree with. I think, you know, the guy was in the army for 10 years. He's paid in full. He doesn't know anybody anything, you know, and, and, and the idea that he's going to suck it up and watch them do to his wife exactly what they did to his mum. You know, um, yeah, and there was also, you know, as as you will know, you know, being in the business, this this theory that essentially Megan's gone under the bus to cover up for all the stuff that's going on in Will and Kate's marriage, um, the which yeah. there is women's agreement that it will never be discussed, uh, and essentially they've 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 offered up Megan as a kind of a sacrificial substitute for this, um which would be even more loathsome than just good old-fashioned racism, I suppose. But, um, yeah, so I'm broadly on his side. I'm broadly on Megan's side through all of this. Um, but I'm I'm still not going to read his book because, no. you know, well, that's too bloody short, frankly. I'll tell you a book that I would, an autobiography I would read, and I think yeah. you would be able to read it quickly, would be Liz Trust, The Downing Street Years. <laughs> I'm not really interested in what happened to Liz Trust beforehand, her rights. <laughs> I'm just interested in, in the moment and, and then I'm really quite interested in what she's... Where is Liz Trust? What is she doing? I don't know. That's a good point, actually. She has completely... Because even Quasi's stuck his head over the battlements, yes. hasn't he? So. Um, but you're right. I mean, that is... Well, I mean, this is a thing I've been doing as part of my show uh which got a couple more show we got in Chelmsford this Saturday and we're in uh, Leicester on February the 12th um just somebody who has been completely forgotten in all of this is George Canning was not yes. only um you know was his health impaired by uh you know not only was his career impaired by the personal animosity of Prince George the Prince Regent not only was he mired in scandal after fighting a duel in 1820, not only did he die of consumption just 118 days after being made prime minister, he's not even close to being the shortest serving prime minister anymore. And in fact, were it not for me, I don't think his name would ever be spoken in public again. 
So I feel desperately sorry for George Canning and all of this. He's the real victim in all of this. But no, you're right. She's completely disappeared. But no, that wouldn't take long, would it? I mean, somebody's going to have to do that series at some point, aren't they? Somebody's going to have to do that mini series of, you know, the Liz Trossiers. Down in Street Minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the I six know. weeks. You know. <laughs> at some, I mean, at some point, Rishi Sunak is going to write a, a, a book, isn't he? An autobiography, presumably in a very stilted and patronising manner. Um, <laughs> he's, I mean, he is so bad, isn't he? We've been talking about this the last two weeks on this podcast. Is is he good? Is he good for 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 a comedian? He's he's clearly better than than you might have imagined because he's he's been so incompetent. Well, it's just, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I mean, one of the things, again, that some other people have pointed out is the fact that he gained this massive kind of personal following, a lot of traction sort of within the party and within sort of the public sphere because he was the guy who was put in charge of giving everybody free money, free money for a year. And, and as such, your personal stock is bound to increase if you're the face of free money. Um, but above and beyond that, he doesn't actually appear to show any great political aptitude at all, because I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, there was no bounce. You know, we were all waiting for the bounce because an incoming prime minister usually gets a, 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 at least a little bit of a bounce. The, he, didn't, he didn't even get so much as a splat. You know, there was, there was nothing, there was no uptick in, in either his personal ratings or the party's personal ratings. And just, you're right, it's just, he doesn't... I don't know. Part of the problem that we've got right now is a problem that we've got throughout British politics, which is we can't say, you know, we, we, we've devoted our entire, you know, we've had this conversation over and over again. This that We've devoted our entire political establishment towards sustaining a lie. Um, that A, Brexit was a good idea, and B, the fact that this country's gone down the crapper in the past seven years has got nothing to do with Brexit. Hmm. That is, that's the great unsayable. And Labour aren't saying it, and the Tories sure as hell aren't saying it. So they just look delusional. They just look like they're, they're existing in a completely different reality from everybody else. Because, you know, here they are going on about starving people in boats as being sort of, you know, the, the greatest social evil that's afflicting the country. When, you know, we've, we've, we've got food banks springing up like a rash, and even the food banks we've got were running out of food in the food banks. And it's... You know, we're literally up to our knees in our own sewage. And, you know, and, and, and all of these, you know, and, and we've, you know, just the other day, there was that report came out, you know, that we can't staff our own country anymore because we've kicked all the migrant workers out. And, you know, we've got this hostile environment so migrant workers don't want to come here in the first time place. And we're trying to act like all of this is normal and we're trying to act like this is happening everywhere. And it's not. And it's... To a certain extent, it doesn't really matter what his tone is or how he couches things, how he phrases things, until he's willing to at least, you know, on a theoretical level engage with reality, that nothing he says is going to matter. It is, yes, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, you, you mentioned, you write, you, you're this column this week in the New European is, is about his, his big idea, Little Richie's big idea, which is to make everyone do more maths. And as you say... It's quite a dangerous game to teach people about maths when none of none of the sums uh, from, from uh, Rishi Sunak's party appear to be adding up. This is true. Does he really want a sort of, you know, a highly numerate nation when you're right, any sort of actual 
statistical analysis of what they're doing is 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 woeful. Um, but also, you know, I mean, I made a little ranty video about this that went a bit viral, just um, <coughs> picking up actually on a rap that Simon Pegg did about it on the yeah. day. Uh, which she said, but just which is. Um, you know, because Simon was saying, you know, what about, you know, what about our great tradition of creative arts and self-expression? And as soon as he said that, I can hear, you know, the tabloids going, yeah, you're not going to pay the bloody bills with self-expression, mate. And I'm thinking, well, actually, yeah, we are. Because the thing about the arts and creativity and that is that it's more, not just one of the last fields in which Britain actually is regarded with respect in the rest of the world. It actually makes more money. For the country than almost anything else we're doing right now you know the world is not eating our fish the world is not driving our cars but they are reading our books they are binging our tv shows they are making our movies and watching our movies and even after movies which come out which are ostensibly american movies are actually being made in this country with our facilities and our technicians because they're the best in the world and the one i forgot to mention which a few people have pulled me up on is the industry we've got which really is a world leader is our video games industry mm. That's actually one of the most profitable industries in the world is the British video game industry. And that, obviously, there is a scientific element to that, but that is predominantly a creative enterprise. People are actually having to develop all new storytelling techniques, you know, to essentially write these three-dimensional stories that can go off in all kinds of different directions. But somebody's still writing those stories and people are still drawing the characters, even if then they're being wrapped around wireframes and they're being animated. You know, so yeah, there is a scientific element to that, but there is a massive creative element. If it was just the science, anybody could do it, but it's not. You have to come up with the scenarios. You have to come up with the... Um, you know, with, with the visuals, have to do the, the, the production design on it. And that's, you know, one of the most profitable industries in the world right now is, is the video game industry, and specifically the British end of the video game industry is bringing in billions every year. Whereas all these industries that apparently we had to defend at all costs, even if we then didn't defend them, don't bring in anything like as much. So the point I was trying to make is it's when um, creative types like, I guess, myself uh, are sort of... Um, denigrated in the press or denigrated by the right wing it's not an economic an economic thing it's a political thing it's just it's it's an easy thing you know when when they're, they're looking for somebody to pour scorn on it's always easy to pour scorn on the lobbies isn't it the whinging lobbies what do they know about anything and it's just the point i'm making is the whinging lobbies are the ones paying the bills right now Yes. Um, and finally, because uh, just let's talk about those those whinging lovies and various artists like yourself for, for one more uh, one more question, because, you know, most of those artists work freelance. I know the January 31st tax deadline for freelancers is looming. Oh, uh, bloody hell. Sorry? <laughs> Not sorry, looming for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you heard about this new thing where you can defer your paying your tax though? Or you, all you have to do is you can defer millions, but all you have to do is be the chairman of the Conservative Party. And yeah. Then you, then you can pay it back, you know, a few years later. Need to find out who his accountants are. Well, of course, the really choice thing is that, yeah, now he's the chairman of the Conservative Party. For a minute there, he was uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer. So evidently somebody was made Chancellor of the Exchequer who owed the Exchequer several million pounds. That's an interesting appointment process by anybody's standards, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> I suppose we're going to have to wait for his book. Um, 
Thank you so much to Mitch, Ben, to Redim on Rishi Sunak and the sums that don't add up. You can pick up issue 325 of the New European at newsstands now. Uh, are there any newsstands? I don't know. There are news agents, aren't there? I don't know why I say that every week. Uh, it's cold and rainy out there, though, even snowy in some places. So you can also stay in and subscribe for just £2 a week. Uh, for that, you get our award-winning newspaper delivered to your door. Plus, you get access to the complete digital archive of all Mitch Ben's articles for us. Uh, and you can do that at special rates by going to the neweuropean.co.uk slash TNE podcast. Thanks, Mitch Ben. So joining me now for the Hall of Shame are the New Europeans, Matt Withers and Eleanor Longman Road. Matt, hi, Ellie, hi. Hello. Hello. Uh, before we do the Hall of Shame and talk about Anne Widdicombe and all the other usual suspects, let's let's dig into this autobiography a bit more then. Ellie, what do you want to hear from Boris Johnson in his autobiography, presuming he does write it? And what do you definitely want him to leave out? Yeah, I mean, presuming he he does does write it is a um is a good point to start on, I guess. Yeah, um, Mitch Ben says he's you know he's got form for for uh, you know we're we're still waiting for his Shakespeare book, for example. Well, exactly, and there's a few other sort of things he's promised that have never actually surfaced. So um maybe yes. we should take everything with a pinch of salt. But I mean say, you know, it does emerge and when it does emerge, all political memoirs are inherently self-serving. And I think we've seen in the case of Matt Hancock recently, this sort of retrospective diary, that there's evidence that they can hugely backfire. I don't actually see that happening with this one. I have a funny feeling he's going to manage to woo it and woo the public and sort of, he's very good at stringing together a story and selling it and making it all very colourful, as we've heard before when Mitch has said, you know, he's used the same sort of story and speeches over and over again, although they don't often always land. I'm intrigued as to then what sort of colourful account he's going to, you know, describe his handle of, handling of the pandemic and not how we misled Parliament and the lies. Obviously, we're going to need a bucket of salt because it's all positioned towards this sort of comeback, whether we end up seeing that happening or not. Um, I'm genuinely curious as to how he's going to describe this whole being ambushed by a cake thing and all these ridiculous stories that we heard coming out around Partygate. As for what I don't want to read, I really don't want to hear any details about Carrie and Boris um, than their and their private life is something I really don't need to know about. I saw enough of that for a lifetime when I reviewed This England and months on, I don't think I've ever recovered from Kenneth Branagh as Boris Johnson shouting to Carrie from behind a bedroom door that power is an aphrodisiac. So none of that yeah. and I'll be and I'll be fine. Yes, I think we we you know we we Mitch mentioned the uh, Mitch and I mentioned the, the queasy Tony Blair. Uh, moment. Um, it's a good idea, though. That, that's a great marketing ploy, I think, for Boris Johnson's um, autobiography. It should, it should come with three sachets of pinches of salt uh, for uh, for each lie on the page. Matt, are you looking forward to this um, to this uh, magnum opus from Boris Johnson? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't really want to read any of it, to be honest. But uh, yeah, if if forced, it might be interesting, uh, as Ali says, to hear how he portrays the very early days of COVID and how it compares with, as you mentioned, Matt Hancock, who basically claims to have been the only person in Whitehall who didn't think it was just a minor sniffle and. Uh, Dominic Cummings, who claims Johnson was more interested in writing uh, the aforementioned Shakespeare book to pay his whopping divorce bill, 
Uh, that said, it'll, that'll probably all come out in the, the public inquiry before the book is launched. Um, what I, I don't want to hear is his crowing eye on history drivel about what a glorious success Brexit has been, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of that. I think actually what 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 you mentioned in terms of him and Carrie, I think we will be spared that because um, he really never engages with anything like that and hasn't done ever since he was sacked by um by Michael Howard from the shadow uh, well he was a shadow min- junior minister for mm. lying about um his affair with Petronella Wyatt and I think he took the decision then that he would never again uh discuss his personal life and he's pretty closely stuck to that there was the occasional picture when he was in number 10 of them and their kids with the the kids pictures always taken from behind that their faces have never been seen so I I, I wonder if, if um it will be a, a purely political stroke professional memoir if if as you say we we do actually ever see it yes um i mean early thinking about autobiographies a, a few years ago i was at a wh smith in an airport and there was a in, i went to the autobiography section i thought i'll, I'll buy an autobiography it's a long flight it's a transatlantic flight um and um and there were a group of girls young young teenage girls in the autobiography section and they were looking at this book uh, which they're taking down from the shelves, and they were going, "Oh, she's really up herself, uh, you know. I just, I don't like her at all, you know. She's only, she loves being on telly. She's always on telly. She loves it. Can you guess whose autobiography uh, it was that they were talking about? Oh, I'm really intrigued. Um, and I don't think that actually hugely narrows it down at the moment. The way they were describing said person, um, I don't think Pretty Patel's done an autobiography, has she? Um, well, it's in my memory because it was Malala. <laughs> Oh, I was expecting it to be Katie Price. Oh, for goodness sake. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, she's up herself. Sure, we're talking about her, her life. Um, are you an autobiography fan, Ellie? Have you have you played through a few in the past? Um, I've read, yeah, I I dabble in the in the art of autobiographies. Ages and ages ago, I read Duncan Bannatine's autobiography, Anyone Can Do It. And I read it at school, at junior school, which I think teachers found a little bit disconcerting and I was, as I was sat there flicking through it and planning my world domination, supposedly. Um, recently, I've read, which is a genuinely really good book, and this is the genuine title, I'm Glad My Mum Died, um, which is Jeanette McCurdy's sort of memoir about Hollywood and how Hollywood mistreats child actors, which is a bit of a cultural read, but very interesting. Um, and I'm currently working my way through Emily Maitlis's Airhead, which is a genuinely really insightful read on how news and interviews come together and sort of all the backstage work that goes into them that you don't often often see. Uh, there's nothing like a bad autobiography. I, I, I used to have to read a lot of books written by footballers when I wrote about football. I read one written by, I mean, I suppose it wasn't really written by him, but it was Michael Owen. Uh, wrote a book when he was about 20 in autobiography uh, he didn't have a lot to say he did say that he'd never watched a film all the way through um, and when he played for England schoolboys, they took him to the cinema to watch Cool Runnings and he was so appalled by this idea uh, that he just pretended to watch it but after five minutes he shut his eyes and thought about football um, have you ever have you ever played through a really bad one I don't, I have to admit, I don't think, or at least if it was, it can't have been that bad because it hasn't stuck in my memory. I don't know about you, Matt, but I've never actually read one that I genuinely have regretted reading, which is a good sign. Yeah, I have. I had the misfortune of reading um, David Cameron's memoir and a, a, a oh, great wow. swathe of it. And I'm possibly 
50% of it is him. And it's a big book. I can see it from the other side of the, the room now. Um, it's him patting himself on the back for transforming the Conservatives into a, a modern liberal party at ease with 21st century mores. And you think, mate, have you seen who's running the country now? I know, something we can all thank him for, I guess, then. Yeah. I mean, you're, you don't watch TV, but you clearly read autobiographies, Matt Withers. What's, have you read any good ones? I prefer biographies to autobiographies, yes, actually. So the, the, the point that Ellie just made about them being self-serving. And for our weekly um, mention of factory records, o- over Christmas, I read Paul Morley's biography of Tony Wilson. Oh, I'm reading it now. It's absolutely blinding. Yes, if you can right. put up with the fact that Paul Morley has got uh, a very unique style of writing and some sentences can run to several pages but um it's a good read um in terms of political autobiographies an honorable mention for ken clark's kind of blue for his very on-brand method of not bothering with such modern fripperies as computers and writing and he just told his life story to a dictaphone while necking whiskey and got somebody else to sort out getting it onto a page um, but I think I go. I think my, probably my favourite of the last couple of years was um, Barack Obama's memoirs, uh, or at least his first volume, of A Promised Land. It's really beautifully written. He's got a really nice um, turn of phrase. It's very authentic uh, with its world of uh, kind of informed liberal centrist adult politics. It it might have been set about fifty years ago. <laughs> kind of blues a great title isn't it um for, for an autobiography so i mean let's talk potential titles for boris johnson's uh book ellie have you got any any potential boris johnson autobiography titles in mind i do i've got a couple of offers for you i think potentially uh how to lose your job and alienate voters Good. or and i also cannot claim credit for this one because i've stolen this from twitter um but etonement etonement that is good. And you've got some suggestions from the listeners as well, haven't you? I do. I've got a list here from our from our listeners and readers. Um, so Christina Taylor suggests Pants on Fire. Uh, Sally Wilcox says Three Weddings and 200,000 Funerals. Go bit bit more with that one. Uh, Brian Adams says Some of You May Die, but that's a chance I'm willing to take. Sally Kirkham-Wiley says I wrote this for the money. Quite apt. Uh, Claire Palmer-Newkin says How to Be Crime Minister. And Nikki Thomas says, The New Adventures of Pinocchio. Uh, one that uh, I don't have the name for, which I saw earlier, which I thought was quite good, was uh, Am- Ambushed by a Cock. Uh, Matt Withers, what title for Boris Johnson's autobiography would you choose? Uh, just one, very obvious one. It's got to be called Them's the Breaks. <laughs> Them's the Breaks. <laughs> and you've got a few uh, listener suggestions as well there, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Uh, Margaret Havenhand, who who herself could be a, a character from a, a 19th century novel, uh, says Hot Air. Trevor Aston says Honesty, Truth and Integrity and How I Avoid Using Them. Ian Anderson's got The UK, My Part in Its Downfall. Andy Bodiner says Won't Get Spaffed Again. Uh, similarly, Susan Charlesworth says Mind Spaff. William Vine said he doesn't care what the book's called, but it should be thrown at him. And David Pollard said the perfect title for Boris Johnson's autobiography has already been used by Graham Chapman of Monty Python, a liar's autobiography. Uh, and there we go seamlessly from that into the Hall of Shame then, where we put the uh, the, the worst uh, people of the week in politics. My first pick, as always, is Anne Widdicombe, um, who writes this in the Daily Express. 
Sometimes I think that nobody should be allowed to comment on anything without first passing a comprehension test. Tory MP Andrew Bridgen had the whip removed for, agree for agreeing uh, that the COVID vaccine rollout was, quote, the biggest crime against humanity since the Holocaust. Bridgen was accused of comparing the vaccines to the Holocaust false. He did not say vaccines were as bad as the Holocaust, but that in all the years since the Holocaust, there had been no crime against humanity as great as the vaccine rollout. Uh, so that's all right then, I suppose. Uh, Andrew Bridgen didn't compare the vaccines to the Holocaust. He just said they were the second worst atrocity of the last 80 years apart from the Holocaust, which, of course, is really comparing them to the Holocaust. Uh, I, I, sometimes I am. I think that nobody should be allowed to comment on anything without first passing a comprehension test. Uh, Eleanor Longmarud, who are you putting in the Hall of Shame this week? Uh, yeah, so first up for me in there is Jeremy Hunt. Uh, this week he emerged out of wherever he's sort of been hiding with a video attempting to ins explain inflation to the public in the Twitter sphere at large via the means of coffee cups. Uh, he sort of goes into a cafe and says, while I wait for my coffee, let me explain inflation to you. Um, an explanation that, funnily enough, doesn't include any form of trustonomics or Brexit, but instead blames inflation on the supply chain squeeze after COVID, uh, the Ukraine war and high energy prices. It's also really hard to ignore the sort of smile that he tries to suppress when he starts talking about poor people, which is just a bit creepy. Um, we were discussing this yesterday and the fact that this is coming from, you know, one of the conversations and one of the people that's supposedly in the adult room in government. I'm increasingly convinced that such a room doesn't really exist. Um, but And this is not the main issue here, but one of the most brainless bits of this sort of bizarre marketing PR-esque video is the amount, an excessive amount, of non-reusable cups he's getting through, scrolling on each one in black marker to demonstrate the sort of point he's making. Um, and I think Therese Coffey will not be impressed because we all know her favourite way to protect the environment and reduce her carbon footprint is by permanent cups. Yes. Um, exactly. And joining him in the Hall of Shame for me as well is Suela Braverman. Uh, at a constituency event in Farham over the weekend, she was confronted by Joan Slater, who's a Holocaust survivor and educator, who asked Braverman about her need to use such excessive and aggressive language when talking about immigration. Uh, she said, I am, a I am a child survivor of the Holocaust. In 1943, I was forced to flee my birthplace in Belgium and went across war-torn Europe and dangerous seas until I finally was able to come to the UK in 1947. When I hear you using words against refugees like an invasion, I'm reminded of the language used to dehumanize and justify the murder of my family and millions of others. Why do you feel the need to use this kind of language? And classic Braverman essentially dodged the question. Uh, the Home Secretary thanked, thanked her for her inquiry, but would not apologize for her language, didn't usually justify it, and said that instead it's the British people that should be honest with themselves and that we shouldn't shy away from difficult truths. Uh, Robert Jenrick, immigration minister, when asked on this, said that language must be selected much carefully, very carefully um, than it has been in the past. And when you have Jenrick correcting your choice of words, I feel like you should know that you've been maybe on the wrong side of this. Yes, very good choices there. I mean, Jeremy Hunt appeared to say that he was going to bring down inflation and, the, and therefore the price of coffee by investing in nuclear, um, which... Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm not sure how nuclear fits in the average Starbucks, but there you go. Maybe he's got some very hot coffee on the way. I think <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt Withers, who's in the Hall of Shame for you? Uh, first, from me into the Hall of Shame this week is Natalie Elphick, the Conservative MP for Dover, who this week hijacked a bill designed to protect children online to make it all about migrants. The bill, which cleared the Commons this week, uh, was aimed at stopping children seeing harmful material online with measures such as age verification, taking content down and parental controls. But Elphick tabled an amendment to it, which will make it illegal to post videos on social media showing people crossing the channel in a, quote, positive light. Uh, an amendment which incredibly uh, was accepted by the government, despite the fact such crossings are hardly it's a knockout. Um, Elphick is, of course, uh, a stickler for people obeying the law, which is why in 2021 she was sanctioned by parliamentary authorities for using Commons notepaper to write to senior judges in a bid to cut the sentence of her husband, Charlie, a former MP and convicted sex offender. Also going into the Hall of Shame this week is Nat Y, uh, also known as the Conservative Life Peer, Lord Y of Shoreditch, uh, who this week penned an article for the website Conservative Home on how the Tories can win over five target groups of voters at the next election. Uh, all of them are batshit crazy, uh, but particularly his ploy to lure students and graduates, paying off their debts if they can pass a test to prove they're not woke. Uh, any support given must be linked with tackling the high levels of woke indoctrination they face at university, he writes. Oh. One approach might be to offer debt relief or forgiveness as prizes for those students and graduates who can pass national tests in which they achieve the highest scores for tolerance of other viewpoints, lateral thinking and critical thinking. Students could have their debts paid off based on their ranking in such awards, both at the level of the university and nationally. This, he says, could give a strong reason for students and graduates to vote Conservative and help tackle out-of-control wokery in tertiary education. And what finer way to promote critical thinking than making students pass a test to prove they agree with the governing party on everything? Into the hall of shame you go, Lord Why. Uh, and one more from me is somebody who in April 2015 tweeted this. Labour didn't deal with tax avoidance for 13 years in government. We have just introduced new tax avoidance laws this month. Uh, same person last July said, as rumours spread about his tax affairs, there have been news stories over the last few days which are inaccurate, unfair and clearly smears. It's very sad that such smears should be circulated these smears have falsely claimed HMRC are looking into me. I trust these smears will now be seen for exactly what they are. And now Nadim Zahawi, uh, because it was him, has agreed to pay HMRC a reported £3.4 million in unpaid taxes. So I think we can see those smears for exactly what they are. And uh, Rishi Sumak has said that Nadim Zahawi has explained himself in full and that he continues the matter closed, uh, from which we can infer that he hasn't uh, explained himself in full and he will shortly have to resign like everybody else uh, that Rishi Sunak uh, and other Tory Prime Ministers have supported. Uh, and what will he do when he finally does have to resign? He has all that time on his hands. Well, maybe he'll write his autobiography. Uh, that was a new European podcast with Steve Anglesey, Eleanor Longman Rood and Matt Withers. Thanks to you all for listening again. Thanks to our guest, Mitch Ben. Thanks to our producer, 
who is John Denkin. If you don't want to miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe and give us nice ratings and lovely reviews on your podcast provider of choice. Uh, you can join our Facebook readers group. Also on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at The New European. Ellie, where can people follow you? Uh, people can follow me at E Longman underscore rude. And Matt Withers, you are at? At Matt Withers. And I am at Sanglesey. That's S-A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y. Just one more reminder of our special offer for new subscribers. If you go to the neweuropean.co.uk slash T-N-E podcast, you can join us for the great price of a pound a week for digital or two pounds a week for print and digital. So until the next time that we meet, goodbye from Matt Withers. Bye-bye. Goodbye from Eleanor Longman-Rood. Goodbye, Steve. Uh, and from me, it is so long, snowflakes.